welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, um, this is this is probably this is 9/11 and the Holocaust rolled into one. Uh, that is the best way I have found to explain what we're going through. And we are all Israelis. You know, people are thinking, oh, well, this is something that's happening in Israel and it's so sad. Or some people aren't even believing. They're saying it's disinformation. They're not even believing it's happening in Israel. But in any case, let's assume for the sake for for now that it is happening. I mean, it certainly is happening. I have no question about it. But the thing is, um, meanwhile, what, what also has been shocking, not just the sudden attack of Hamas, but also how many Hamas sympathizers have come out of the woodwork. And uh, so today's show is called Hamas Sympathizers, Propaganda and Anti-Semitism in Cities and on the Web. And I have two wonderful guests for you today. Each of them will talk about one aspect of this. Um, First guest is Jason Rance. He is um, the author of a book called What's Killing America? Inside the Radical Left's Tragic Destruction of Our Cities. He's also the host of the Jason Rance Show in Seattle. He's a frequent Fox News guest. He's been on Tucker Carlson uh, several times and um, lots of other media media interviews. Um, And let me just uh, let me just turn it over to you, Jason. What what has been your before we get into the cities part? What has been your um, overall reaction to what's been going on? So I mean, we're getting hit from both sides of just absolute disgust. Obviously, everyone should look at what happened to Israel by a terrorist organization and be disgusted. But I'm also disgusted and frankly alarmed by the number of Americans or Palestinians in this country who are siding with Hamas. I don't even know if I would say that they're sympathizers. I think that they are supporters. When you see the folks who are out there who are chanting language that indicates they don't believe that Israel has the right to exist, I think folks can have a nuanced view of civilians in Gaza and have sympathies for the folks who are caught up in this. I think that that is a reasonable and frankly logical position to take. But when you're chanting from the river to the sea, when you're chanting long live the Intifada or we don't want two state, we want 1948, you're pretty crystal clear on where it is you're coming from. So to think about it in these terms uh, is alarming that these folks who are out there are your neighbors. They're your doctors, they're your lawyers, they're your bosses, they're your kids' teachers, and they have a, a lot of hate in their hearts. And if they are celebrating what happened to Jews, if they're celebrating the deaths of children, the rapes of women, the murder of civilians and kidnapping of elderly Holocaust survivors, what do you think they view uh, around American Jews, that, that that's a, a, a tough position for American Jews to, to be in. And I hope people understand that that is a potential threat. Yes. You know, um, you know, the, the, the slogan, never again, right, in regard to the Holocaust, you know, we would say that those are like, that's like a bumper sticker, never again. And yet here we are today in 2023, and it is threatening to be again. Um, you know, it is all over. Um, why I'm saying we're all Israelis is because, um, you know, these people who you were just talking about, and yes, it is better to say Hamas supporters, really. Um, they, um, they don't realize, they think somehow that they are immune to these terrorists, um, who, you know, that if somehow that if they came to their door and knocked on the door, that somehow they would give them a pass because they were at these rallies or something. And yet um, what people don't understand is that terrorists, from the time that the kids are four years old, 
or or less at, at least four um they teach them to to hold rifles and they do practice drills they put them in camps they teach them to to um how to kill israelis how to kill jews how to hate israelis and jews and um but when and it's also the west it's not just jews you know the radical is is the radical islamists want to get rid of everybody um and so they can establish sharia law and so it's not like you know these these supporters hamas supporters are in this think that they're untouchable but really if hamas or other terrorists come to america which they're already here quite frankly and you know that um then they're not safe either Correct. I mean, I, I covered a couple of the rallies that happened out here in Seattle and in Kirkland, which is nearby. And at, at both of these events, I noticed the exact kind of person supporting Hamas when Hamas, if you were in Gaza, would take you to the tallest rooftop and throw you from it. The lesbian couple holding hands on the Hamas side or the non-binary person, the guy wearing a dress. Guess what? You are an enemy to these people. Just because you see them as oppressed and you loathe Israel and Jews and you see them as oppressor doesn't mean that suddenly you're going to get a pass to the point you just made. And I wish people would understand that a little bit more, but they're so blinded by their ideology, by their cult-like belief in oppressor versus oppressed that they can't quite see that. They see the West as the enemy because they have so much power. They see Israelis as just white people with power. That's what they believe, which is inherently, by the way, anti-Semitic. And that's how they're they're viewing this issue. I also find it ironic that some folks who are from the Middle East, from some of the countries that loathe Israel, countries that don't have the same democracy as Israel or rights and freedoms as they would if they lived in Israel and as they live here in the United States, they're the ones saying they're siding with the folks who would bring the the country to the kind of uh, lack of democracy and lack of freedom that they escaped. Because presumably they came here for a better life, and yet they're siding with Hamas. Yes, yes, and siding with the left, who uh, that, that leads us into your, um, into your book <laughs> um, about cities. Uh, let me, what's killing America inside the radical left's tragic destruction of our cities. So let's hear about that and how that's going to get even worse with what's happening now with Hamas. Well, when you give power, when you cede power to radicals, they're going to act out in radical ways. And I think we've seen that over the course of the last several years. Certainly after George Floyd was killed in the BLM movement, you saw this rapid sort of leaning into these radical views that weren't necessarily pitched as radical. They weren't viewed necessarily as radical by the American people. And they out of a sense of guilt, they just gave in to these policies. They believed some of the lies that were being told around policing and the criminal justice system, that it was oppressive, that it was white supremacy culture at work, that it needed to be dismantled and then rebuilt through this social justice lens. But ultimately, when you don't speak the language of the radical left and when you don't When you're not able to decode some of the language, a lot of the ideas that they end up pushing and the way that they push it can sound really tempting, can sound really normal and mainstream. They have control of the language. And so when you have control of the language, you can frame debates in ways that guarantee you're going to win. And I can give you an example. There's something called just around homelessness, housing first as a policy. I can go ask, even here in Seattle, people are very far to the left. Can they describe what it is? They probably maybe could based on the word, but they've never really heard it. They they only know how it was pitched to them. It was pitched as a way to end homelessness. And it makes sense on paper, put people in homes and then address the reasons why they're homeless to begin with. In practice, however, it doesn't work. It's never worked. It's been a total failure where it has been implemented, including in the entire city of Salt Lake. And yet it sounds good on paper. So people are going to say, well, yeah, let's do it. They're not seeing the language shifts. This has nothing to do with housing first. This has everything to do with permanent support of housing, which means they never actually address the underlying reason behind the homelessness. But if you don't know the language that they use, if you can't decode some of the policies and connect dots to what's happening on the ground to these policies, you're never going to make any sort of change. I'll hear people say, essentially, what's killing America? The Democrats. It's not that simple. And it's not even a Democrat issue. It's a radical Democrat issue. And there's a clear difference between the two. 
And it's happening all across the country. It's not just staying in big Democrat-run cities. It's spreading. And unless we get ahead of it, unless we know what to look for, unless we can argue with folks our positions while understanding where the far left are coming from and the language that they use, we're not going to win any of these battles. Yes. Well, I mean, really, isn't I mean, the far left is trying to destroy America. So what they're doing in these cities and and is really exactly what they want to do. So it's I would argue it's probably a little bit more nuanced than that, although I certainly agree that there are folks out there who are just in it for the chaos. I think there's two groups of people when it comes to these radical ideas or the ideology that informs it. I think you have the true believers who who it's like they're in a cult. They don't really see the consequences. They always have some sort of denial and say, well, it's because we didn't go far enough or we didn't quite do things the way that I wanted to because those pesky Republicans and moderate Democrats are getting in the way. Those folks are very dangerous, but they're also not people that we're going to be able to convince that what they're doing is wrong. We have to push those people aside and win these debates. The other hand, you have the folks who believe in their heart that they're doing the right thing and there's going to be some short-term pain for long-term gain. Those are people you can actually have conversations with, but ultimately it's about the folks who don't fall into either of those categories who are just the voters, who are just everyday citizens who walk around their communities, be it San Francisco or New York, D.C. or Chicago, and say, yeah, there's something clearly wrong. There's more homelessness and drug use. Crime is out of control. And yet, weirdly enough, I'm paying more money to live in this city while the quality of life deteriorates. They know something's wrong, but they don't know the why. Or if they do know the why, they're really thinking about it too big picture and not specific enough to make any changes. And so that's why I wrote What's Killing America, to give people those details to connect the dots for them, because this is what I do for a living. I study this stuff. This is my life. And I understand that everybody else has families and their own jobs, and they've got kids that they're taking care of, and they have a life. And so it's hard for people to do that kind of research. So I did the research for everyone and made it really simple to follow. Tell us about that. How did you do the research? Well, I mean, I cover these issues every day for my radio show and for Fox News several times uh, a week. And I started to pick up on the trends, the themes that were happening, that a policy that went into place that was responsible for a crime increase in Seattle was almost identical to what was going on in Austin, what was going on in Atlanta and Los Angeles. And the same is true for most of the issues that we all take uh, concern with the immigration, education, we're being told what kind of cars to drive. This is all based on the same ideology. So on the one hand, what's good about that is that if you figure out how to argue against it and understand how they operate, well, you're going to be properly equipped whether or not you live in Seattle, San Francisco, or Austin, right? You'll be able to argue against it. The bad news is, is that it's not always apparent. It's not always easy to identify. And you need to have those tools to be able to pick up on the language that's used by the radical left because they change the language all the time. But they still always have themes that they're connecting themselves to. They always tell you that this is about compassion, which when someone on the radical left argues that what they're doing is compassionate or destigmatizing, uh, understand that that's a red flag. And that generally means they've got some pretty radical views. Uh huh. Yes. <laughs> you know what? Um, what you were talking about before about the um, homes first, houses first. What was it? Housing first. Housing first. Isn't that? I, I read something not that long ago about, uh, and I don't remember if it was in Seattle or where it was, but they a city built a whole bunch of houses, expecting the homeless to move into them, and and nobody came. So half of that is true. So it's, I'm assuming you're talking about Salt Lake City. This, this has been used as a sort of a, a, a pr bit of proof that it actually works. But we've seen similar cases to, to your point of just building these housing and or, or having homeless hotels, tiny house villages. And they, they notice real quickly that if they want to impose any kind of rules on people who are moving in, that the people will just stay outdoors and live in a broken down RV or a tent. And that's the problem with the housing first mentality. You basically told everyone that they don't have to follow any rules. And so when you come up and say, well, there will be rules in this case. Well, they say, well, okay, I can just stay here and not be hassled because the government's not going to move me. 
Now, some governments, local governments have changed their posture on this. We see that happening in Los Angeles and San Francisco, for example, a little bit in Chicago and Austin. But it's become a little bit too late because the culture of homelessness, just like the culture around drug use and crime, has gone so far to the left that it's going to take some time and some real commitment before you're going to see any kind of change. And unless everyone's on the same page at the local level, you're not going to see any change. For homelessness, what works in almost every instance is a carrot and stick approach. And they've taken away the carrot or they've taken away the stick and they've just given the carrot to these individuals. And that's what's causing this problem. But it all comes down to housing first. And Salt Lake City did it in a big way. They claim to be hugely successful. But I went and I looked at the data and that was not true. It was not successful. And yet people to this day will argue in favor of it using Salt Lake as an example. <laughs> that's because we all think in sound bites because that's what the mainstream media does to us. <laughs> you know, if you, you can only get it in three minutes, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it even goes beyond that. I mean, just people buy into a narrative and then they just start to amplify it. They, they don't do their own research. When, when I was doing my book, I ended up putting an entire chapter just on Salt Lake City and the housing first model because it was that insane to me that people were buying along. But I went and looked back at some of the, the media coverage and it was celebrated by like the Washington Post and the San Francisco Chronicle, huge successes, but they apparently didn't look at any of the data because the data from the beginning was clear that they were comparing apples to oranges when they declared it a success. In fact, they, they didn't just declare it a success. They said they got to functional zero homelessness. That was never true. And every single year since they implemented Housing First and declared it a success, homelessness has gotten worse. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so what do you think with all these cities being the way that they were or are before Hamas and Israel, what do you think is going to be happening now? I think we're at a, I think each city is a little bit different, but uh, generally, I think if people don't step up, they're going to wake up one day and realize it's too far gone, that they acted too late. I think San Francisco is a perfect example of that. There were voters who finally said enough is enough. They end up getting rid of recalling their DA, Chesa Boudin. They end up recalling three school board members, and they got some traction and momentum. And of course, those were progressive voters. It wasn't the, the, the three conservatives who live in San Francisco doing this, these were all progressives. The problem is they waited too long. And as a result, I don't think San Francisco can be saved in any meaningful way in the near future. I think this is maybe at least a decade, if not decades, from returning to not only what it was, but what it could be. I just fear that folks who live in some of these big cities and increasingly some of the smaller cities and mid-sized cities that now have been impacted by these policies, they're just going to realize it's too late. I, I don't want them to do that. I also hate the idea that people finally see what's going on because they've been personally impacted, having a break-in or something worse, taking their kids to a park and realizing it's filled with homeless people or having your kid pick up a needle, which has happened many, many, many times. I don't want that to happen. I want us to wake up before then. And that was a, a key part of the motivation behind what's killing America. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, I hope, when did it come out? So it came out on September 26th. So we're oh. in uh, week three, three and a half. And okay. it's available everywhere where you buy your books, like Amazon, Walmart, uh, Barnes & Noble. If you're going to a brick-and-mortar shop, just make sure that you give them a call to make sure they have it in stock. Uh, turns out they're not all very uh, happy to support conservative authors. So I need uh, people out there who are listening to step up, purchase the book, but not just for yourself. I would argue everyone has a moderate Democrat friend or family member. Buy it for them as well. It's just as much for them to open up their eyes than it is for the conservative to get tools in order to win some of these arguments where we're clearly outnumbered. And just as a word of caution, do not assume that it won't happen in your community. I, especially my education chapter, I'm going into small red towns in Iowa, Nebraska, Wisconsin, where they have schools teaching kids to hate cops. It's happening everywhere. And unless we step up, we're not going to win. Even in red towns. Yeah. Well, you know, and, you know, um, after 9-11, um, I became the terrorist therapist and I do all kinds of things in regard to terrorism, writing books, and I have a podcast, The Terrorist Therapist, and all of that. So I've been following this since since 2001. And um, um, what was I going to say? 
oh, I have been warning people. Well, ever since, I guess, primarily since George Floyd and, you know, those years when they really went hard on defund the police, I have been trying to warn people, um, you know, we are going to need the police, not only for everyday crime, but when terrorists come. And, um, you know, nobody wants to think about that. I mean, we need police more than ever today. And there are fewer police in America than ever. And, you know, you have to kind of have your head examined to become a policeman. I mean, I'm only saying that somewhat tongue in cheek because obviously, you know, um, obviously it's very important. It's a very important job. But um, but they get such disrespect and they get uh, they get hit over the head and a shot sitting in their police car and all of these things. I mean, you have to have an incredible courage and love of this country to want to be a policeman at this point. 100%. And again, this was a cultural shift when it comes to policing and the criminal justice system. And that's why I say it's not going to just change overnight. You don't change the culture. You don't all of a sudden tell the bad guys, well, okay, never mind. Now we're actually going to have you suffer some consequences. They got the memo. They know that they can get away with a lot. They know that cities and counties are under-policed and they're they're exploiting that. And that's bad news for, for all of us who have a basic expectation that if, God forbid, something were to happen, you call 911, it's not going to take 17 minutes for them to get there. You don't have that kind of time in emergencies. And yet that's what's happening all across the country. And while some cities have walked back and refunded, and I cover that in the book. But some of the politicians haven't changed their tone, and the radicals have already changed policies and laws, which makes it institutionalized, which means it's not going to be easily undone. And that's why I warn people, just getting rid of a Democrat doesn't do anything. You're going to actually have to know what to repeal, what to replace, what to tweak, and it's not always that obvious. Hmm. So, so how do we stop people from committing suicide after they hear this or after they read your book? What well, is your, we know, yeah. How do you help? What do you tell people to do? I tell people exactly what works. I tell them what language to use when having conversations and trying to persuade people. I give people the reason to actually organize. I, I turn to what happened with school boards where you had parents who stepped up and it, it took one parent to step up and say something to realize that he or she was in a room filled with people who also believe precisely what it is they just said. And we're in the silent majority, so we can't be silent in the majority. We have to start speaking up instead of ceding all of this power to radicals. The good news is we can win this. You just have to do a little bit of the work. And I've done a lot of the work already in the book. So all it is is you know learning some of the details, finding out what works, what doesn't, and understanding the other side, and then we can start winning these battles. Like I truly believe that, and we've got plenty of case studies to suggest that can be done. We just have to be willing to do it. So, what are you doing? Um, you know, as you said, and I I know that that's kind of a problem with conservative books. Um, what are you doing to try besides radio shows like this and your own radio show, presumably? What are you doing to try to make sure that your book gets in the right hands? I mean, part of it is is asking people who are watching or who follow, who listen, who follow me on Twitter and, and see me on Fox News is you got to also be an evangelist for the book. I can't do this all my own. Uh, it, it's very difficult to promote books in, in this world, given the fact that I'm a conservative. The rules are definitely not in our favor. So people have to say that this is an important issue, that our cities are worth fighting for, that the future is worth fighting for purchase the book and make sure you're telling others to purchase it. Or another good idea is get a book for a friend, get it for a birthday gift, to get it as a, a Christmas gift or a Hanukkah gift. Just make sure you're stepping up and doing your part. Um, you know, we, we put out the book enough so it's not like uh, crazy expensive. We just now need to make sure that it gets in enough people's hands. And by the way, if you've got local libraries that you, you know are very active, ask them to carry the book as well. Yes, very important. Well, let me uh, let me mention the name again. What's Killing America Inside the Radical Left's Tragic Destruction of Our Cities. You know, um, so that this just came out. So you have, you know, new, uh, your research is new. I yep. mean, you know, in other words, it's, it's current. Um, 
And so, you know, it's only people, we need to pay attention to these things because it's only going to get worse with the um, radical left, uh, uh, you know, invading more in terms of these um, supports, uh, Hamas supporters. And, um, you know, who are going to be, who are even more, I mean, you know, now that they are, uh, they have a reason, they have a cause, they think. Um, they are particularly aggressive, you know, they've come out of the woodwork. And, um, and so, so, you know, they're going to be more um, aggressive in terms of some of the policies, you know, making sure some of the same things that have been happening now are yeah. even more enforced. So this is all the more um, necessary. Yeah, I assure you, it's not going to get better on its own. Well, I wish you all the best. Thank you for sharing this with us. Um, again, um, let me just say the name of the book again. Um, <laughs> you say the name of the book. <laughs> What's Killing America? The name of the book is What's Killing America? Inside the Radical Left's Tragic Destruction of Our Cities. It's out uh, in hardcover, ebook, as well as audiobook. Ah, ebook and audiobook. You see, even easy. You don't have to hold. <laughs> exactly. I miss, you know, I like to hold books in my hand, but, you know, I know sometimes it's easier for people to listen, to listen when they're doing other things. But, um, and the thing is, even though it's called Inside the Radical Lefts, blah, 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 um, you don't have, it, don't get stuck on whatever politics you belong to. I mean, these, just like what I was saying about terrorists, you live in, everybody lives in these cities, Democrats, Republicans, radicals, you know, not radicals. Um, so this is affecting all of us, you know, yep. it doesn't matter that maybe you don't like for those people who would think, oh, well, you know, he thinks these people are radical. I mean, it's all we just look outside your window. All these things are happening. I'm sure you you've noticed our cities are, are and even the suburbs are really um, going to pot these days. So, Jason, thank you so much, first of all, for writing the book. And thank you for being on the show. And I wish you all the best. Um, and I hope everybody reads it. <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Well, now we're going to take a break um, and we're going to go to go to my next guest. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch and we will be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. The boroughs are New York City. The burbs are everywhere else. Real estate is the ultimate game of risk and reward. It's the biggest investment most people ever make. Fortunes are made over a lifetime and lost in a day. And we're not playing with Monopoly money. How do you stay ahead? Who's buying? Who's selling? And why? What do they know? We want the truth. You need an edge. Burrows and Burbs is your secret weapon to giving you the insider knowledge and strategies you need to succeed in the high-stakes world of real estate. From Palm Beach to Palm Springs, Manhattan to Malibu, we press the experts to expose the pain, find the deals, and occasionally predict the future. That's Burrows and Burbs, 3 o'clock Eastern, noon Pacific, because everyone can make money in real estate. 
We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch, where we're talking today about Hamas sympathizers, propaganda and anti-Semitism in cities and on web. So we, you just heard a guest who was talking about the in-cities part. And now my next guest, Jason Shepard, is going to be talking about on the web, how uh, Hamas turns to social media to win the propaganda war. Welcome to the show, Jason. Thank you so much, Doctor, for having me. I appreciate it. Now, let me just give a little bio, your bio. Let me tell people um, how great you are. <laughs> uh, Okay, so Jason Shepard is the founder of Wimpkin Social Media, that's W-I-M-K-I-N, and he has held numerous IT leadership positions in major corporate healthcare before leaving the industry um, after observing irregular irregularities, yeah, you could say that again, irregularities <laughs> in COVID and government reporting protocols. That was... Uh, that's, that that took courage to do that, but it was it was great that you did that that you didn't put up with their lies. Um, he also he then founded Wimkin. Uh, Wimkin is so, social media a social media platform. He founded it in 2020, and um, he despite being banned from Apple and Google Play app stores, uh, while he was number one on both of these stores. And he and after receiving multiple subpoenas by the House Select Committee on January sixth, were you a January sixth trespasser? We were blamed for it. That's not that's for sure. But um, I actually was not. I was not charged, and I won't say if I was there or not. <laughs> okay, I don't want to get you in trouble. Uh, so, see, now he has grown Wimkin, um, and it's now over nine million users. He also created a TikTok alternative called Realster, and a YouTube alternative called Truth Leak. And um, he donates. Uh, he's a big um, philanthropist. Okay, now let's talk about Hamas turns to social media to win propaganda war. Tell us about that. Well, <clears throat> believe it or not, um, sadly, we are just, uh, we, I just saw something literally about 45 minutes ago where there was a hospital attack that, um, the reports are now saying that at least 500 people are dead. Um, of course, uh, and I've, I've certainly screenshotted this for later on for um, to disseminate mass, of course. But, um, you know, CNN came out. Uh, a lot of left-leaning uh, media came out and blamed Israel right off the bat without having any facts, without having any type of, you know, ammunition to back that up. And obviously, you see all the social media posts. You've seen um, Rashida Tlaib, I believe. Um, Ilhan Omar, I believe she actually did as well, uh, blamed uh, Israel outright without any facts again. So essentially what you're seeing is anybody who's, you know, pro-Palestine or, you know, I guess even pro-Hamas at this point in time, which I don't understand how anybody could be. But, um, you know, legitimately they are coming out and stating that, you know, Israel is the one committing all these atrocities, that Hamas is OK in this aspect. And then it it's really up to the individual to do their research and things. I mean, these, these reports, uh, Carol came out incredibly quick. I mean, within five minutes of these strikes, you were hearing. Sure. Just so, um, you know, when you first said that, uh, hospital strikes, I was thinking that you meant that the hospital workers went on strike. Oh, you mean <laughs> that a bomb hit a hospital, yes. one yes. hospital, more hospitals in, in Gaza. So they, Originally, they stated it was a school and a hospital where displaced uh, Palestinians um, were actually being housed. And, you know, they said there was up to three to four thousand people there, all civilians, of course. And um, that's why when you've seen these social media reports and obviously even mainstream media uh, immediately blaming the IDF, Israel, of course, um, it, it turns out they're, they're most likely accurate because, you know, media on scene now stating that, hey, you know, we're hearing that this was a Palestinian jihad attack. 
uh, misfire, which happened a lot because there was, you know, recorded missiles that were, you know, launched by that group prior. And, you know, the IDF came out and they stated that, hey, we do not target hospitals and schools. And I, I certainly would believe them on that because, you know, Israel didn't get in the position that they are to be an American ally by going out and killing, you know, innocent people. Um, so, but that's really what this comes down to. Mm-hmm. Well, also, we have to um, add, though, something. You know, I'm the terrorist therapist. I've been working in terrorism, um, <laughs> not as a terrorist, but helping people deal with terrorism and so on um, since 9-11. And one of the things um, that is known is that uh, terrorists, whether whether Hamas or other terrorists, they purposely store things in hospitals and schools, um, right. store the, their leaders, store bombs, store weapons, other weapons, um, all, all the things that they want to keep safe. <laughs> they, they save them in the bottom um, of these schools and hospitals and so on. So that the, in the hopes that Israel won't bomb these places, which Israel tries not to do, um, but then when Israel, if a bomb from Israel, you know, does hit a hospital or a school or something like that, then they can say, aha, look what Israel is doing. You know, it's killing all these civilians and so on. So it's like Israel can't win. And it is really, um, you know, the social media uh, it is really playing an important part in this war, probably more than any other war, you know, because it keeps getting more ubiquitous. Um, and and people like like you know the people who support Hamas, um, they use some of them who even bother to have excuses. They will say um, the pictures of Hamas killing babies, beheading babies, grandmas, all that kind of stuff. That that's just Israeli disinformation. That's what they're thinking. Right. So um, so tell us some more about you know what's going on in social media. Yeah, so essentially, um, about 20 minutes ago, I just had an article I wrote featured on The Blaze regarding this, um, because you had uh, Thierry Breton, he's the um, pretty much the face of Europe's uh, Digital Services Act. He has been in the media lately trying to essentially control what is being shown on Twitter, well, I guess X now, and uh, Facebook meta platforms. And uh, he's threatening a 6 I'm sorry, 6% uh, annual global fine on you know, these platforms, res, rev, uh, sorry, global revenue um, based on, you know, like the TikToks, Meta and um, X, you're talking about the size of, you know, some countries gross domestic product. I mean, we're talking billions in fines. So um, and he's stating that, you know, all these things that are they're essentially pro-Palestinian and things of that nature cannot be shown on social media. But we're also seeing, you know, like Wimkin, we had about 300 new signups that had, you know, local areas like um, Israel, Egypt, Lebanon, um, Gaza area uh, for new signups to our platform. And we did notice that they were trying to share like four to five year old videos from conflicts and conflicts that are 10 years old, trying to blame and say, this is what Israel is doing in our country right now. So you have to be cautious, but it really should, in my opinion, be left up to, you know, the user and, and the person that's actually looking at this, um, the viewers and the readers to see what you know, is actually happening. Because like I just said, this okay. hospital attack. Mm-hmm. Okay, but wait. Uh, so, do you mean that Wimkin doesn't have any supervision of, like, like that Wimkin wouldn't take that down? What you were just describing? Um, we would take down certain things. We'd probably put a warning on it instead, stating that um, you know this is most likely disinformation or misinformation or something like that. We usually don't get into that. Obviously, this is a very you know unique and and sad situation. We certainly don't want to be known as a place where people can share fake news. But we also don't want to be censoring people's posts, you know, on the level of, hey, you know, the user, in my opinion, has the right to to figure out what they are to believe. I mean, plain and simple, they're allowed to have their opinions, they're allowed to have their beliefs, and they can certainly dissect what people are posting, and then they can debate that all day long with them. But, you know, as far as anything like graphic violence, um, things of that nature, no, I do not want that on my platform. And just to touch base on that, Wimkin does not allow nudity, pornography, or any posts with criminal activity or criminal element to them. Okay. But as far as the user being able to discriminate or to determine what's what, or like these are pictures from years ago or something, most users wouldn't be able to know that. 
Yes, uh, our, our users are extremely intelligent when it comes to, you know, what is actually factual and what is not, um, at least when it's, you know, we had people, you know, during the Afghanistan withdrawal, um, sharing things that were literally 10 years old, and they were debunked within probably a minute or two stating that, where are you getting your information? This is literally this, this video. I mean, you could use so many different online reverse image searches and, and video searches and things of that nature. So we have a very very uh, intelligent platform. So I don't think much of that would would fly on our platform, so to speak. But again, yeah, what I was stating is we don't allow, um, I don't want images like that and obviously videos like that circulating in mass on my platform for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So how would you say, so what are some of the thing, other things that, um, I mean, what has Hamas done in terms of propaganda? What kinds of things have they been posting or showing or so, yeah, I mean, they're, they're posting a lot on Twitter, and that's why Thierry Breton, again, he got involved uh, with the Digital Services Act trying to, you know, uh, basically tell Musk and Zuckerberg, you must take these things down. But again, they're sharing, you know, probably some of their own atrocities that they're out there committing against their own people. They're sharing age-old conflicts with other groups, other militant groups. They're sharing Afghanistan videos, and they're playing that off, again, as Israel's atrocities, you know, in the Gaza Strip. So essentially, and it does hurt, you know, Israel needs all the help they can get right now. And it does hurt because it's, you know, people are out there, even our own Congress people, they are out there supporting, you know, Hamas and saying that Israel is the one creating these atrocities. And, you know, really, that's just it's with with Israel's history. They're not going to be out there committing atrocities on people that are completely unprovoked. And, you know, they did give warning to move people. So these people just really need to they need, either need to get better at it because they're sharing stuff that's clearly false, but it still is swaying people's opinion. And that's a, that's a sad situation. Now, do you have, um, do you have any um, either research or do you have any opinion? I mean, you've obviously been steeped in this, but like, can you, do you have any examples of how it changed people's opinion? Um, I mean, just, and I don't like to cite too much mainstream media coverage, but again, you, you have, uh, these these groups, you know, at Harvard, you have these groups at some of our, you know, our nation's, um, you know, most prestigious, you know, institutions that are out there in support of Moss. They're getting most of their, you know, information from social media at the ages of, you know, 18, let's say to 22, maybe a little bit older. So they're not on here watching, you know, the 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 24-7 news coverage that you can see. They're actually getting this from social media. And when you see, you know, you have LGBTQ groups actually out there that are posting and, and holding signs that even, I, I think I could say this, but queers for Hamas, they don't even realize that if they were over there practicing that lifestyle, they will be dead within minutes. So yeah. that's really what it comes down to. And it's a dangerous, dangerous situation because, you know, these people, they're supposed to be some of the brightest young minds in the country, you know, at Princeton and, and Harvard and these, these, you know, Yales. And here they are in support of these things. And I love the fact that our CEOs in this country are starting to say these people are now blacklisted. Yes. I love that. Yes. Very- yeah. yes. Um, you know, I just did a tweet. Uh, I'm, I'm like a Twitter freak um, because, you know, I, I, I start my mornings usually with that um, putting something up that, you know, to start by helping people, getting people to, I, I find the things that make me the most outraged. And I put that up there, you know, this morning though, there was a good piece of news. I'm sure you probably saw it um, about this doctor in, um, in the, an emergency room doctor in Lenox hospital in New York city, who um, had a uh, post who had been celebrating the Hamas uh, massacre and um, and she posted something actually on Instagram um, where she said uh, something about Israel getting a taste of its own medicine, you know, with uh, with the Hamas massacre. Now Israel is getting a taste of its own medicine and she was fired. So yeah. um, so I, I, I wrote something about, you know, between Wall Street, like what you were just mentioning mm-hmm. and this. Um, there are some some hopeful signs, but it's like whack-a-mole because <laughs> you, you get stop, you know, one person or one group and then they pop up somewhere else. Um, but, um, you know, it's it's really it, it's really. Um, and of course, then the next thing is going to be A.I., and oh, yeah. you know, if 
disinformation is confusing, people are, are really not going to know what to believe with AI when you can make all these changes and make it look very real. Yeah, you aren't kidding there, uh, Carol, because, you know, and this is probably going to be the first time that the the true power of AI is going to be tested within this war. This There's also a, certainly a war of propaganda. There's no doubt. But, you know, realistically, they can they can generate deep fake videos now. They can probably even timestamp these videos now to be, you know, that you really can't disprove them. And then, you know, you probably know this as well as I do. We're being told, I mean, we're done. People already have our voices by everything we've recorded. But, you know, people are now being warned to take your voicemail off. Just leave a phone number because, you know, um, these, these, you know, sinister people that are utilizing AI, this is where they're actually getting your voice information from your phone or your voicemail, and then they're copying it for ransoms and their things. And we saw that with that teenage girl that was supposedly kidnapped while she was at a camp. And, you know, her whole family in town was freaking out about it until they actually found out it was a scam. So, you know, this is going to be incredible. Like, I could just see what they're going to do with politics in the next, you know, obviously run up to this election in the next 13 months. But, um, you know, AI is a very dangerous and very scary situation. And I don't see it being used for good anywhere near as much as it's going to be used for bad. Yes, it's going to be used for making money for those people who, you know, are working in it. Um, but that's very interesting. Yes. So you're saying, like, not to say, hi, this is so-and-so, um, you know, uh, leave me a message, blah, blah, blah. Just uh, just that you've reached, you know, um, 917, blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah. Yeah, the automated message, yeah, because they they literally will get your voice. And then, like I said, anybody who works in media, anybody who's a politician or anybody who's, you know, on the Internet or has done these things before, their voice can be so easily, you know, trans transcribed into whatever you want to say. And, you know, there's going to be really no way for anybody to debunk that in the future. And it's a scapegoat, too, if you think about it for, you know, for prisoner you know, or criminals and things of that nature to say, I never said that. Or, you know, people that really do deserve to be chastised. They can just say, hey, somebody created this. It was a deep fake. So hopefully there's a way to police this. But right now there is not. So who are you? Um, uh, to, I'll be honest. I never heard of Wimpkin before, <laughs> before seeing it connected to you, uh, seeing it in your bio. Um, so how, who are you targeting? Who would you like? Who are your... Who are your ideal customers, your ideal users, I guess it is, um, that you would like on Wimkin? Well, we would love anybody who actually enjoys free speech, first and foremost. We love intelligent debate. We don't want to echo chamber with just all conservatives who've been kicked off places. But, you know, we want people to understand their First Amendment right. And there's a very good reason why you don't know about us. It was the fact that we were number one in the app stores. We were banned. We were um, blamed for the alleged insurrection. So we were banned for... We fought them for eight months. We wouldn't lay down to big tech's, um, you know, actual content moderation demands. And then uh, once we actually got back in the app stores, then here came the J6 Select Committee, uh, House Judicial uh, Select Committee on January 6th, uh, literally subpoena, subpoena us. And then also um, we had two demands directly from Benny Thompson himself to essentially get us shut down. So uh, they didn't want us to be known. And it's 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 sad because we did reach up to, you know, we're over right around 9 million people again right now. And I can only think about where we would be if we were able to be in the app stores for the eight months that were up and following this uh, 2020 election. Huh. So what was there? Did they give you any reason why they were taking you off the app stores? Like, did they say we don't want the competition or what did they say? They so they we had a total of nine posts that they took um, offense to. Five were by Google Play and four were from Apple. And um, they were literally posts that were saying that literally what they were they were reciting the Constitution saying any any traitors and you know treason should be should be hung um, that from Congress and things of that nature. It wasn't saying we're going to go hang you. Um, there was a post that was uh, something called a million militia march, but people weren't organizing. They weren't doing anything to where. They were threatening harm or anything like this. And there was far worse, far, far worse on Facebook and Twitter. And they didn't get hit with anything just because they make Apple and Google Play so much money. But those were the only instances. And then they wanted us to change so much about our content moderation. And we just said, no, we're not doing this. And then finally, after our users sent about 50,000 emails to both stores threatening to, to quit Apple forever and quit Android and Google uh -huh. products forever, um, they also sent us about 7,000 real-time screenshots from their 
Twitter and their Facebook accounts at the time. And those posts were so way, way for, uh, more violent than anything on Wimkin. And we put that in a uh, proposed motion to Apple and Google Play and said, this is what we're going to file in Southern California against you. So what do you want to do? And finally, here's here was the entire concession that we made. We took uncensored out of our name. And I, I said, okay, we will do that because we're not uncensored or not 100% uncensored. We obviously don't allow nudity. We don't allow pornography. We don't allow any posts with criminal elements or like we talked about, any type of graphic violence where you see these poor individuals getting, you know, uh, maimed and worse. So. Uh-huh. God, you know, so it's like what what tech was, how tech evolved, um, you know, where there were the big cheeses up at the top <laughs> um, is now how AI is evolving. I mean, how social media, I should say, it's all tech, but how social media evolved, you know, with, with the big cheeses. <laughs> and now AI is doing the same thing which makes it very difficult to try to control. Um, all right, well, what? so tell people, um, now you also know, obviously TikTok, we only have a couple of minutes left. Obviously sure. TikTok, I mean, I, I won't go on TikTok. I, I, I talk about how TikTok should be banned, not only mm -hmm. because it's taking our information, but it is being, it's taking that, um, for nefarious purposes, communist China, but it is also feeding into American minds all this garbage, especially kids, these challenges that kill them. And, and um, you know, they're dumbing down. American kids are spending hours and hours on TikTok instead of studying. I mean, you know, the Chinese have done this for a reason. Um, and then, so is Real Star basically like that, but like honest? <laughs> Yeah, Realster is 100% data private, so we don't sell or share any information. Same thing as Wimkin. You'll, we'll never spam anybody. We don't sell data. But we also have parental controls. We have age groups where, you know, um, videos are served based on 0 to 13, 14 to 17, and 18 plus. Now, 18 plus sort of sounds like it's scary, but that just means they're not seeing, you know, stupidity and things of that nature or, you know, violence or things of that nature because, you know, I just don't want people to think it's like graphic 18 plus like pornography because that's never going to be allowed on there. But yeah. And um, we just, we really want to keep kids safe and we want to obviously keep people, people's data private. I mean, literally TikTok is a national security threat on the highest level. People don't realize that when you put your thumbprint into your phone, when you do your facial recognition, they have all of that. And it's, it's very scary to think that how far behind the United States are um, from China, if we ever get into a conflict with them. Yes. And let me just mention, and then we have to um, sign off. The, the other um, social media um, platform is called your is called uh, Truth Leak. That's mm -hmm. like you. That's a substitute for you YouTube. Yep, that is correct. Well, well, thank you so much, um, Jason. This is really important stuff that you're doing. I don't know anybody else who's doing this. <laughs> thank you. Um, and uh, it's, it all helps. It all, everything is so necessary in these crazy, crazy times. Well, thank you so much, Jason Shepard. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. And I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.